Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we study from Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to move quickly through this first opening section, which is really verses 1 through 16. It's very similar to what we had yesterday in chapter 9 when he sent out the 12, as Jesus now sends out the 72, so more disciples to do the ministry that he is preparing them to do after his departure. And they're going to have to do these things. Um, Some of the notes that are different, verse 2, right? Um, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That is, there are many people in this world that the Lord wants to save, but there aren't a lot of people that are a part of God's kingdom that are going out into the world to share the good news. So as a family tonight, today, whatever time it is, pray this together. Right? Jesus said, therefore, pray earnestly this prayer. So pray it together right now. This is a wonderful thing to pray for, that God would send out more workers into his harvest. So pray for that. Pray that you would be those workers to share that good news. Now, he then tells them, now that I had you pray for it, go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Ask your kids, what would happen if you took a lamb and set it free in the midst of a field filled with wolves? The wolves are going to kill that lamb. Jesus is sending out his disciples into a world that hates Jesus. And because the world hates Jesus, the world is going to hate the ones that Jesus sends. They're going to hate his people. And they're going to kill them. There have been many Christian martyrs throughout the last 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. And unless the Lord first returns, there will be many more. It may be that you are one of those martyrs someday. You are not sent into safety. Safety is an idol. You are sent to share the gospel. All right, what else differs in this account from what we saw yesterday? The laborer deserves his wages, verse 7. This is one of the things that ends up being used to say that you should pay your pastor. And that's fair. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, though. Um... Verse 11, as they're wiping the dust off their feet, shaking it off, 
like the 12 also were told to do, we have an additional note. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So even as the town has already rejected you, even as they've already rejected God's word, as you leave, declare one final note of law. Leave them under the condemnation of their sin. The Holy Spirit may yet work through that to bring about faith, if he so wills it. Verses 12 through 14 are admittedly difficult to actually understand. On one level, they're understandable. On another level, they're not. So what is that level? So Sodom, Sodom is known in the Old Testament as the place that God wipes out in Genesis 19, right? They, he rains fire and brimstone down. Hey, we just had the disciples ask that yesterday, if they could do that. Well, God did it in judgment of those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet here, Jesus says it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than it is for these people who have rejected Jesus. Where Jesus has actually come, they've seen him, they've heard of him, and they've still rejected him. And it's going to be similar here. Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. All cities by the Sea of Galilee, they've seen the miracles of Jesus, and yet faith is not there. And so Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament cities that were rebellious against the Lord, and he destroyed them. You can read about that in the prophets. And yet again, things will be better for them. They will sit in sack, they would have sat in sackcloth and ashes had they seen the miracles that you have seen. And so God's judgment is going to be harsher for Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum than it was for Tyre and Sidon. Nineveh would be an example here of one of those horrible ancient cities that sat in sackcloth and ashes after hearing the word of God. But not these cities. They are firmer in their hardness of heart. They're going to be brought down to Hades, which is a reference here to hell. Christians don't believe in Hades. The Greek people did, um, Greek part of Greek mythology there. And so Jesus, in the land of still a Greek culture, uses a reference point that they'll hear and understand. Capernaum, interestingly enough, is like the home base of Jesus' three years of earthly ministry, and yet he throws them into this picture too. The one who rejects the disciple, rejects Jesus, rejects the Father, and thus rejects all of his gifts, forgiveness, life, and salvation, all gone. Just like with the 12 yesterday, we saw them sent out, we saw them return, so it is with the 72 today. We see them sent out, we see them return, both in the same chapter. What's interesting here is that you see you see their response to their journey. They're joyous, and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And let's pause and reflect on that for a moment. If you got to go out and you got to cast out demons, you would probably have the same reaction, right? You'd come back to Jesus and you'd say, that was incredible. Even the demons listened. But notice Jesus' response. We would compare this to Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, where we hear that a third of the stars of heaven are cast down to the earth, and we take that as a reference to the demons that sided with the devil, so that the devil is cast out from heaven, as mentioned here, and then Jesus says he gives them authority to tread on serpents, which is interestingly uh, a connection to Genesis 3.15, the first promise in scripture of a savior, that Jesus would crush the serpent, that is the devil. Jesus says he's going to involve his disciples in that work of well, fighting against evil. I mean, Jesus is still the Savior. He's still the one that crushes the devil, but we are part of his family, part of his kingdom, and part of his work. 
nothing shall hurt you. Romans 8 is a great place to go on that one. Um, You don't have that same promise as they did. I mean, the 72 literally sent out Jesus. They've got Jesus protection. That's why I don't have to carry any money bag with them. Jesus is going to care for them directly because they're his disciples that he has sent out. He's going to have them return. They're going to bear witness to the resurrection, that sort of thing. You don't have the same promise. You do still have the same call in a sense. You don't have the authority to cast out demons per se, but you are called to go out and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. You don't have the promise of protection. You do have the idea that you're going out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So there's some similarities, but some differences between their call and our call. But for us, nevertheless, Romans 8 is still excellent because it tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing, not even the sword, let them kill us. They can't take Christ away. And in that sense, this is true. Nothing can hurt you. Because even if they kill you, you are in paradise with Jesus. They have not hurt you. They haven't. And that's hard to grasp, wrap our mind around. But what's interesting about this return is actually verse 20. Do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that you've cast out demons. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. That's the goal. That's the aim of all of this, that you get to be in paradise. And the goal of everything that you've done, including the casting out of demons, is that your neighbor's name gets to be written down, that they get to be in paradise. So reference to the book of life here, whoever's name is in the book of life. This is the thing to rejoice in. We are the Lord's servants. We just do what he gives us to do. And then we rejoice that we get to be a part of his kingdom. And then Jesus rejoices in his father's will in that next section. So he prays, he gives thanks to God. And it's an interesting prayer. He thanks God for hiding these things from the wise and the understanding, but revealing them to the little children. And he says this was God's gracious will. You'd read something similar if you read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, um, that the Lord has basically chosen the, the fools, not the, not the wise of the world, um, to be his people. It's a thing of, of humility in contrast to the hardness of heart, uh, you know, the seat of man's heart that we think we can do this ourselves, we think we can save ourselves, we think that we know what... What living our best life now is, I don't want to live my best life now, not even close. Yet God has given the kingdom to the children, and that this is good. Rejoice that you are one of those children, his children. Verse 22, all things have been handed over to him by his father. Matthew's gospel ends on a similar note that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, so then he gives it to his disciples. This is similar here, that no one knows the Son or the Father except the one that Jesus chooses to reveal him to. And Jesus has chosen to make himself known to you. So rejoice that your name is written in heaven. All right, so then we get verses 23 and 24, and Jesus says privately to likely just the twelve. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see 
and hear what you hear. So basically hear the disciples. They're, they're fortunate, they're blessed that they got to actually be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Many in the Old Testament longed to see what they see and hear what they hear. They had faith. They are saved because they looked forward to the promise of the Christ. Just as you and I look back on the promise of Christ, and we weren't there with him, but we're saved because we looked to him for salvation. So the Old Testament prophets and kings that wanted that, that trusted in that from God, they are saved as well. And I think we are similar in that same way here too. We have not seen, we have not heard um, the words straight from Jesus. The disciples truly were blessed to be in that particular moment. The Lord gave them that gift. So we are more akin than to the prophets and kings who wanted to see it and now in faith trust in it. Right? We trust that these words actually came from Jesus but we weren't there to hear him say them. So more similarity there for us. Then we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you have the lawyer standing up. Um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks what's written in the law. And he responds in verse 27 here with the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And as you read through the entire New Testament, you'll see this theme again and again. The purpose of life from God is to love God and love your neighbor. When you think of the Ten Commandments, that's how they've boiled down, right? Commandments 1 through 3 are about loving God. Commandments 4 through 10 are about loving your neighbor. So the two tables of the law, as you will sometimes hear that discussed. You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Question for the children, can we? Can we love the Lord our God with all our heart, strength, soul, mind? Can we love our neighbor as ourselves? The answer to those questions is no. We need the Lord's forgiveness. This man, though, thinking he could justify himself, pushes the question a little further, wants to know who his neighbor is. Just who do I have to love as myself? And so well, then we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, it's down from Jerusalem to Jericho because of an elevation thing. On a map, Jericho is probably about 25 miles northeast of Jerusalem. But elevation-wise, you have to go down because Jerusalem is on a hill. So when you leave it, you have to go downhill. He's among robbers, beaten up, left, basically left for dead. If a priest walked by, and he walks by on the other side. A Levite walks by, walks by on the other side. They don't help the man who's dying, the Jew who is dying, one of their own people. Now, if we were trying to be fair about things here, uh, the priest has to offer sacrifices, the Levite has to care for the house of God, and to help this man in his beaten state, his bloodied state, would render them unclean and unable to do their duties. But nonetheless, they don't help him, right? The Samaritan does. Jews and Samaritans are enemies. And look at the result of even the parable, right? In verse 37, when Jesus is asked who was the neighbor to this guy, the man, the, the lawyer can't even say it. He can't say the Samaritan was the neighbor. He has to say the one who showed him mercy. Here's the point of the parable. Your enemy is your neighbor. The Samaritan that day was a neighbor to the Jew, even though they hated each other. Even though their people were in, in constant conflict and hate for one another. Neighbor. It's a challenge for us to hear, right? All right, so the last one, Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary is it's subtitled in the Bible, I guess. This is one I use to challenge my confirmation class every, every time I get a chance. 
Um, so usually every two years or so that this account comes up for us in class. Um, my class is a two-year rotation, so every time I get a chance. And let me challenge you to do the same thing. Do this illustration in your home with your family. What do you need to do today? Make a list. If this is morning, if it's, you know, if it's already evening, what do you need to do tonight before you go to bed? What do you need to do in the morning? And what do you need to do tomorrow? You know, focus on that. What do you need to get done? Make your list of stuff that you need to get done and set it aside. Read about Mary and Martha. Now, Martha and Mary are both sisters to Lazarus. So this is probably Lazarus's house. He's not mentioned in this text. But what what you want to observe here is actually to, to take a step back, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. So he's with the 12. Most of the disciples were likely teenagers at the time. You probably are familiar with how well teenage boys eat. You have 12 young men and Jesus in your house. And they're staying with you. Good hospitality says feed them. So Martha is going to work on that, right? She is trying to prepare a meal for these 13 men who have suddenly crashed in her house. That's a huge task. And she's upset that her sister Mary is not helping. But ask your children this, is there anything wrong with what Martha is doing? The answer to that is no. She's seeking to provide Jesus a meal. She's seeking to give her Savior food. That's not bad. But the point of contrast is that there's something better. As we go back to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Luke doesn't record that part of the verse in his gospel account. I'm pretty sure Matthew does. Um, And so what you have here then is Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. She was learning from her Savior and that that is more important than food. Now, here's why I had you do the illustration before. After having read that, after talking about that, go back as a family and look at your to-do list. And is the word of God on it? Is sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word and receiving his gifts on it? Or is it just a bunch of earthly things? They might be good things. There might not be anything wrong with them. But if Christ is not there, if Jesus and his word is not at the center of it, you're doing it wrong. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. Trust in the Lord. Live by his word, every word that comes from his mouth. Amen. Sing for